It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Shap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends, all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Stevens Incorporated, an independent financial services firm with the freedom to focus on what matters most. Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. We partner with you to deliver high yield results by managing, developing, and investing in top quality hospitality assets. And now, from the short grass, here is your host, Trey Shap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am your host, Trey Shap. The World Golf Hall of Fame now has 164 members as four additional members were inducted this week in the class of 2022. They included former PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham and the late Marion Hollins, a contributor to the game of golf. Competitor Susie Maxwell-Burning joined competitor Tiger Woods in this year's class. Tiger Woods was presented into the World Golf Hall of Fame at the induction ceremony by his 14-year-old daughter, Sam. Sam was born one day after Woods' runner-up finish in the 2007 U.S. Open at Oakmont. Later that summer, Woods claimed his 13th major at the PGA Championship at Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And oh, by the way, that is where the PGA Championship will be in just a matter of months coming up in May. Coming up on this edition of From the Short Grass, I have a Zoom conversation with former Arkansas amateur standout Alex Carpenter. You will not want to miss this interview. I need to tell you about Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels. BPHotels.com is where you can find them on the web. While planning your trip, make sure you check out their website to see if one of their hotels is close to where you need to be. Beachwood Pinnacle Hotels, one of our great sponsors of From the Shortgrass. We're back with Alex Carpenter after this. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. Me sponsoring a golf show is great irony. I've been a phenomenally bad golfer for 30 years. I don't know the difference between a penalty area and a bunker. I like it, but I'm really bad. You listen to this show and to Trey because he's a great golfer and knows the game backwards and forwards. I know auctions like Trey knows golf. I've been a professional auctioneer for 30 years. I know auctions. Trey knows golf. Listen to the correct expert. Call me to learn about auctions, not Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time Time you visit El Dorado. Welcome back to From the Shortgrass. I recently had a chance to do a Zoom interview with one of the most decorated junior golfers ever to come out of the state of Arkansas. On the tee, Alex Carpenter. Alex Carpenter, thanks for joining me on From the Shortgrass. You are a no stranger to those uh, in Arkansas who followed junior golf, watched you grow up. When did you first pick up a golf club? Man, as close as I can remember, I think I was six or seven years old. Uh, my dad grew up uh, 
hunting and fishing and playing baseball and uh, kind of just got us into golf as a way to burn some energy and pass some time. And uh, he wasn't really playing much at the time, but uh, it was something that we could all go do the range, go to the range together and beat a thousand golf balls in 20 minutes and call it a day. Yeah. You talk about you and your other two brothers, Luke and Adam, what was it like growing up in a golf family? It was fun. Uh, we're so competitive. Anything we did turned into a competition. Uh, but, you know, we had fun with it. Everyone had kind of their, their niches. You know, I, I took to golf pretty seriously. Adam and Luke both, uh, they loved it, but maybe not quite as much as me. But, uh, we, you know, we traveled. We do all the junior stuff together. And, you know, I'll bunk up in a hotel room and, you know, hot springs or uh, Fayetteville, wherever the tournament may have been. And uh, it was good to have something to do together. Why do you think you loved it so much? I did team sports and uh, there's politics in it. And, you know, I showed up uh, to Arkansas when I was in sixth grade and, you know, I joined the basketball team as one of the, you know, more talented and, uh, you know, didn't start immediately. And I was like, what is going on? And it was because, you know, these guys had all grown up together and had to earn my way a little bit. And uh, it was fine. But, uh, you know, there were days that you played bad and you won and I didn't get any enjoyment out of that. And uh, so I, I really stuck with golf because you got out, you know, what you put in and when you played well, you, you got to enjoy it. And when you played bad, you had to evaluate it and uh, figure out what went wrong. When you were growing up, uh, your dad, parents were members of uh, Chanel Country Club. Not a bad place to uh, work on your craft. No, it was it was beautiful. And now going back, uh, I, I think I, I underestimated how awesome it was. You know, we were pretty spoiled. We had um, two courses there. And so you know, you got to see different shots and um, different types of grasses. And, uh, and it was fun. You know, I know that not everybody had that opportunity. And so to have that and the membership and, you know, our old pro out there, John Warburton took me in uh, like, like his own son. And, you know, there's, there's a good group of guys out there that I've been playing with uh, since I was 15. And uh, most of them are still out there uh, playing three days a week and, uh, and having a blast. So it's good to go back and connect with them sometimes. You were a very decorated uh, junior amateur in the state of Arkansas, you could have gone anywhere to college and play college golf. Why did you choose Abilene Christian? Uh, when I was in ninth grade, my dad told us, uh, us brothers that he would give uh, all of us the opportunities that we needed, whatever resources we needed, but we were responsible to pay for our own school. And looking back as a dad now, I, I can understand that. And I appreciate it. I mean, we, we would go to uh, very expensive training. We went to IMG Academy every spring break. Um, we had, you know, good teachers uh, in Little Rock and then across the country and went to some short game schools and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I needed to go somewhere where I got a full ride right off the bat. And I had offers to, if you name it, I, I probably got an offer of some, some type there um, out of high school, but uh, went to ACU, got a full ride, knew I'd be playing uh, from day one. And with it being an individual sport, you know, whatever happens in the college season happens. The summer is where it really mattered. And you went and you could play the junior events against uh, Alabama's number one or Oklahoma State's number one. So I really wasn't too worried about it. And I liked, uh, I liked the coach there. Mike, uh, Mike Campbell was awesome. Chad Campbell's brother. So uh, had a good time there. Did Mike bring Chad around anytime? I mean, not a lot of people realize he, he's a major champion. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Chad really, he didn't come to Abilene very often, but we played uh, at least one event a semester in the DFW Metroplex. And so every time we came in, we'd, um, we'd go over to his house or go play Shady Oaks with him. And he'd go out to dinner with us. And uh, Chad was always so kind and so cordial. Um, you would have never known that uh, he'd made millions and millions playing the game.
2010, you played on the men's division, amateur division in the state of Arkansas. You won player of the year that year. And I believe your combined score, when you look at the total two par of all of the tournaments you entered that year was like minus 82 to 84. Was that your best summer ever? Probably not. Uh, I, I would think that, uh, that there was, there was better summers in there. Um, you know, I guess it's all relative, you know, you're, you're playing, uh, you know, easier golf courses and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, easier conditions with rough and uh, pin locations, stuff like that. Um, maybe relative to par, maybe the best, but um, I would say that, you know, I had better golf than I played. When was it? Honestly enough, my, my senior year in college, I played awesome um, because I had some goals set after my freshman and sophomore year. I wanted to win uh, 10 events as a fresh or when I came to college and uh, I hit that mark at my sophomore year and I set another goal to win 20, which, you know, seemed tough, but uh, my junior year was, you know, was a little bit rough. I didn't play that great. Um, I think uh, my sophomore year is uh, when I won the Southern AM. I forget. It, it, it all kind of runs together a little bit, but in that following year, you know, I had the expectations didn't play that well. And then my senior year really, you know, I played some really good golf there and I was able to get to, uh, I won my last regular season event to get to 20. So I hit my goal and uh, that was, that was a good year. I want to go back to the Southern AM at Shoal Creek, uh, just South of Birmingham, Alabama. You beat a guy who just won the FedEx cup this last year and Patrick Cantlay. Take me back to that week and the Southern AM there at Shoal Creek and winning over Patrick Cantlay. Man, the golf course, it's awesome. Um, we had a great time. I kind of started out kind of, you know, nothing crazy, uh, maybe like a, you know, 69, 71 or something like that start. Nothing, you know, shocking. And then uh, maybe like the third round I had, you know, I played awesome, but the greens were soft and I hit a bunch of shots in there and just was spinning the ball too much. And uh, really, you know, I don't know that I got everything out of the round, but I felt like I was playing good enough to win. And, uh, but it was just uncomfortable for me at the time to kind of take some speed off my wedges. And so I went that last day and I told myself that, you know, if I want to win, I, I can't hit those full shots anymore. I can't spin the ball away from the holes. Uh, so I just went in there with the mindset. I knew that I was going to, you know, hit a bunch of off speed shots and, you know, I just needed to get synced up and got off to a good start. And uh, I think I made the, it was like a 70 or 80 yard or foot putt feels like 80 yards. Um, across the 17th green the pin was like tucked way on the left and you, you couldn't get to it and I was hitting about a three iron or four iron in there so hit in the middle of the green and made that putt and I really didn't know exactly where it stood but I knew I was there made a, made two really good swings in 18 and made par and I finished and they're all applauding and you know telling me good job you win and I said is there anyone on the golf course that can beat me <laughs> they're like well there's a guy on the fairway but he has to make it and I looked back and it was Patrick. Sure enough, I said, you know what? I'm not accepting the win. I'm going to stand right there. Before I even walked to the score tent, I just stood there and right behind the pin, like he was in the fairway, I was behind the pin and uh, it, it didn't move. I mean, it didn't curve an inch and it was right at the stack and it hit the flappy part of the flag and dropped down to a foot. And I said, shot Pat. <laughs> and uh, I, I was really proud of him for how, how, how close he got, but I was happy to win. Are you surprised at what he's been able to do with his career? I'll tell you what, I knew that you had to be really good or, or weird, or there had to be something special about you to make on the PGA Tour because there's so many guys out there. And I'll tell a story just off the cuff because I like you, but <laughs> and I hope Patrick doesn't get mad. 
but uh, I roomed with him in the Palmer Cup. It was either like 2011 or 2013. And, you know, we get there and, you know, I don't know if they did an alphabetical order, but, you know, him and I were rooming together. And uh, we get to the room and he's got like six hotel keys. He's throwing them out of his wallet, you know, trying to find the right one for our room. <laughs> we get in there and he's got two suitcases and uh, his golf clubs. And I had my suitcase and my golf clubs. And I'm like, dude, what does he have in the other bag? And uh, we walk in and sure enough, he unpacks his suitcase, puts it in the drawers, he goes to a second suitcase and uh, then goes to his bed. We're at a nice, like a Marriott or something, you know, something, you know, nice. And he pulls all the sheets off and he's got a bag of red silk linens to the pillowcase and, and puts it all on there. And I'm just like, what is this guy doing? And uh, so, you know, at that point I was just like, he was all business always. Um, you know, he was around, uh, around just tour guys his entire life. And uh, he was just groomed to be a PGA Tour assassin. And that's, and that's what he, uh, he became. You bounced around on some tours trying to make it to the PGA Tour. Why do you feel like that it just hasn't worked out for Alex Carpenter to make it to the PGA Tour? Uh, there's a big difference from, you know, playing for uh, pride and records and, you know, people uh, as opposed to playing for money. And, you know, I kind of got caught up in that, you know, I first turned pro because, you know, if you look at it from an expensive standpoint, it's, it's an expensive endeavor. Uh, most weeks you're teeing off, you know, 2000 bucks in the hole. And, you know, I had some good endorsement deals getting started and, you know, at the first couple of years, didn't really worry about it, but uh, you know, if it, if it didn't happen in the first couple of years, then all of a sudden, you know, money gets a little bit tighter and maybe uh, you know, it, it starts to kind of wear on you a little bit more and, I would say probably that's what happened, but uh, I, I sure I sure played a lot of events. <laughs> it was uh, a couple of years in Latin America, like eleven or thirteen countries, something like that. It was you know nights uh, in the Bogota airport, sleeping in the airport. Um, it was uh, getting pulled over in a taxi at uh, midnight somewhere in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the craziest stuff you'd ever imagine. But um, it was just it was a lot of fun, a lot of good experiences, and. Uh, I still feel like my, uh, my game was always good enough. It's about timing. You know, you, you play well when you have your opportunities. And I had the opportunities. I, um, by winning the Southern AM, I got into Bay Hill. And uh, I, I don't remember what I shot, maybe 80 the first day. But uh, number six around the lake, it was like a tough, like into, off the left. And I, I was hitting a really straight ball at the time. And I just like flushed like three in a row, like right where I was aiming. And they lacked carrying by a yard. And you could get up there. You could see all three of them from the bank. And I, I think my, whatever it was, maybe my seventh shot was from 250 in the middle of the fairway. And I knocked it in the middle of the green and, you know, made a, made a nine and missed a cut by a few, but I, I shot 69 the next day, you know, and that was, you know, in Tiger's heyday. And, you know, he was on the other side of the golf course, but he was on the golf course, you know, the same time as me. And um, so here in the roar, stuff like that is something I won't forget. And then um, I got an exemption in the Byron Nelson, uh, the salesmanship club and, uh, Mike Chisholm, my agent, you know, really helped out a lot, but um, got in there in 2014 and got paired with uh, Brooks Kepka in that, in that one. And so I got to see, you know, what high level golf looked like. And it was no different than what I was doing. And I uh, beat him that week, but I mean, he missed cut by two. I think I missed it by one. And on, uh, I think it was, cause that was my first tour event as a pro. And so I teed off on the first hole and you know, I, I remember somewhere on my downswing, I'm just kind of like, wherever it goes, I don't care <laughs> because it was so much fun. And uh, then I think the second day, uh, 17, it was like pretty windy. 
I knocked on it too and like knocked it like two feet, three feet above the hole. And it was like just a brutal slider. And I, I lipped it out and I, I made a bogey after driving or knocking on the green in two and, um, you know, to miss cut by a shot there it hurt. But, uh, you know, everyone learns in different ways. And, you know, I think that when I got an opportunity like that, I put too much pressure on myself, you know, thinking, you, you know, be your last and, you know, same stuff. There's some, some stories similar to that on the, on the web and, you know, is uh, self-imposed pressure. It's, it's tough. There's, there's so many guys that are super talented. I mean, I shot 61 last week, so it's like the game is still there, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that uh, I have some stability in my life. You know, I've got a great wife and uh, a one-year-old baby girl and you know, my quality of life has, uh, has gone up quite a bit. Yeah, you're a father now, and uh, also you uh, get to play with uh, some of the guys that are trying to make it on the tour, and then some that uh, are professional athletes that like to play the game of golf, and uh, mainly where you live in Dallas, Texas, Tony Romo comes to mind. How much money have you taken off of old number nine? Uh, not No money. Uh, I have taken no money off Tony Romo. <laughs> <laughs> All in fun? You play for fun? No, we, we always, we always have some good, some good wagering, uh, you know, and he's tough to beat. He, he doesn't like to lose. He's a, he's a big competitor. Um, but uh, yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten the good side of that one plenty of times for sure. You were telling me earlier uh, back in December about a trip that you and Tony and a couple of other guys there in Dallas took down the Florida when it was raining in Texas so much over several days, I believe like a week long. And I guess he was itching to get out and play. You were itching to get out and play. So what, what did Tony do? Yeah. So he had a, he had a corporate event he had to do in Florida. And um, I, I think still to this day, his, his wife thinks that, you know, he went on his own, <laughs> but uh, he used it as a dual, as a dual trip. Um, it was raining here for like a week. And so he called us up and, you know, we, we flew down with him uh, to Jupiter and played, uh, you know, played PGA national for, for the day. I think he had a function that night. So we flew in, you know, watched him do his little spiel and, uh, played the next day and flew back home. So it's fun. It's uh, the perks of having his resources is, uh, is, is pretty fun. Do you think he could, if he put his mind to it, could he qualify for a U.S. Open? I know he's tried before, but maybe when he turns 50, qualify for a U.S. Senior Open? I mean, I'll tell you this, like there's, there's probably very few guys out there, even, you know, on the web or the PGA Tour that work harder than he does. Um, when he uh, retired from football, he'll even tell you this. He told his wife and his family, he's like, look, I'm going to devote, uh, you know, three full years to becoming the best golfer I can. And, and he did. And we were both out of Merido golf club and, um, you know, one of the first people of the range and, you know, he would practice from eight to 11 and play from 11 to four and, you know, maybe putt after, and, you know, he's, he's a grinder. Um, I think the thing that holds him back is his injuries um, he's, you know, seemingly always got something that's hurting him. He plays through it, you know, as well as anybody, but, you know, golf's, golf's tough. If you're hurt, it's hard to, hard to play well, but if he could, you know, be pain-free, I think that he definitely could. I mean, the concept of him making on the PGA tour is, is tough because there's guys like me and, you know, all kinds of other guys that have, you know, been bred to do it. And we didn't, you know, necessarily make it full time. And so professional athletes at his level, you know, have a little different mindset, but uh, I, I think it's a tough ask for him to make it full-time on tour. But as far as qualifying for a U.S. Open or something like that, shoot, I mean, he'd have just as good of a chance as, uh, as most of us. He'd, I've seen him shoot, you know, mid-60s mid regularly, and uh, that's a far cry from where it was, you know, maybe five years ago when he was, you know, kind of first getting into it. You know, he'd shoot mid to high 70s most of the time, and so he dropped uh, quite a bit. 
Best golf course you've ever played? I'd say Carencia in Cabo. Um, I, I love it. It's a, it's a fun track. Um, one of our AC alumni got us on that one. Uh, we played a tournament out there in college and then um, we, uh, we did our honeymoon out there. And so, you know, I always swore I wouldn't take my clubs, but we honeymooned in Cabo and my favorite course is down there. So we did that and we'll be going back uh, again this year, but really good golf course, uh, good views. Um, it's hard to beat. If you could select three players to play in a fantasy foursome with you, living or deceased, who would they be? I haven't been asked this question in a long time. I mean, you got to go Tiger because he's awesome. Um, Phil, because I've never played with Phil. and I know he's kind of a hot topic right now. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen him and he's just a massive person. Um, I'd like to play with him and just kind of see what goes on on his, you know, his money game stuff, his his mentality. And then uh, I'll throw Romo in there. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, he's, he's really, really fun to play with. Uh, great competitor. You know, if you're playing bad, there's, you know, he's not going to take it easy on you and, and vice versa. You know, he doesn't expect you to take it easy on him if he's playing bad. And uh, he, he just, he loves the game of golf and uh, really wants you to, you know, he, if he's working on something, he wants you to understand what he's working on. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's fun to be around. That'd be a pretty good foursome. What course are you guys going to play? Are you going to play Merido or you want to go somewhere else? Uh, we'll, we'll go to Merido. I, I know that course pretty well. He does too. And, you know, I wouldn't even be scared to take on Tiger and Phil. Really? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'd, we'd, probably, we'd probably be able to hang with them there. I like that. I like the confidence. That's one thing you never lack. You can't. If, you're, if you don't believe in yourself, uh, you can't expect anyone else to. Alex, thanks for the time. Yeah, you got it. Thank you, Trey. This is Thomas Blackman with Blackman Auctions. Me sponsoring a golf show is great irony. I've been a phenomenally bad golfer for 30 years. I don't know the difference between a penalty area and a bunker. I like it, but I'm really bad. You listen to this show and to Trey because he's a great golfer and knows the game backwards and forwards. I know auctions like Trey knows golf. I've been a professional auctioneer for 30 years. I know auctions. Trey knows golf. Listen to the correct expert. Call me to learn about auctions, not Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. With all the decisions you need to make about what to do in El Dorado, finding a place to stay is an easy one. The Haywood is uniquely positioned to make your stay one to treasure. Located in the historic Union Square district of El Dorado, the Haywood offers luxurious accommodations that feature contemporary, colorful rooms with high-quality bedding. Comfortable baths with walk-in showers and a spacious workspace with stylish plantation shutters that are unique additions to the stunning decor in a non-smoking environment. Make the Haywood your home away from home the next time Time you visit El Dorado. Strength is measured not by the number of accounts. Strength is placing value on relationships. It's having the vision and the guts to invest in growth. It's the commitment to responsibly manage your money. At Stevens, we believe that our strengths build success, not only for us, but for our clients. Stevens, member NYSE SIPC. On the tee with our weekly rules segment, here's PGA Master Professional, Adam Carney. Adam, this question comes in from Roger in Little Rock. I'm playing in a tournament. When should you play a second ball? That's one of those that obviously playing competitive golf as opposed to just playing golf and, you know, maybe lacks on the rules. Playing a second ball is important for two reasons. One, to make sure you get your score correct, mm-hmm. but to also make sure that the ruling you get is correct, I believe. Correct? Yeah, that is correct. Um, so it's important to note second ball, 
pre, the old rule three dash three was called a second ball. I think they call it another ball in the, in the rewrite now. So um, it's important to note first and foremost that that is in stroke play only. That is not a match play rule. In match play, um, the opponents you know can get together and make a decision on the rule. Once that decision's been made, play goes forward. And what you if can't, they can't get together? Yeah, if, if they can't get together, then official? you have to call in an official under those circumstances. Or if you have a referee walking with your group, um, you have to call an official. But under in match play, there there is no provision for playing another ball, um, which arises from what we call doubtist procedure. Um, Even for a ball that might be lost or out of bounds? Well, I mean, a ball is either lost or it's not lost. Out of bounds is a great example. I mean, is this ball inbounds? I think it is. I think it isn't. And if we're playing in match play... You know, you and I have to come to a determination. If in, you're going to have to make a decision. So if it's if it's my ball under those circumstances, and I say, yeah, this thing's in, and you say, I, you know, Adam, I think it's out, and we can't find a referee, we can't find a rules official anywhere to make a determination, it's on me. I'm going to say, Trey, you know, hey, it's in. I'm playing it, and I play it, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to make a claim. Uh, I think that ball is out of bounds and you just played a ball from out of bounds, which in match play is loss of hole, then at some point we're going to settle that decision. You know, it might be when we get to the next tee. It might be five holes later. It might be after the round. I don't know. Um, and if it's determined that my ball was in bounds, then it stands. And if it if we determined it was out, then then that your, your claim would be upheld. But, you know, stroke play, you, you can get into a situation where, and you're right, it's in competition mostly. Um, most people playing a casual round of golf are not going to play another ball and then go to the golf professional and say, hey, I need a ruling. Right. <laughs> I mean, it happens every once in a while. True. Um, but what it does is it, it, it keeps the player from, you know, putting themselves in a position where they end up getting disqualified. or So um, there are some, some fairly – stringent um rules that you have to follow when when you do that so let's let's take the ball out of bounds for example and we're playing stroke play now and and i say hey i think i think this ball's in and you say you know i i think it's out and i say okay well i'm gonna play another ball um i want this ball to count because i think it's in so this is the ball i want to be my score for the hole but i'm also going to go back and say i played the previous stroke from the teeing ground mm. i'm going to go back for the teeing area excuse me and put another ball into play under the stroke and distance rule, and I'm going to complete the hole with both balls. Then we're going to report to the committee what happened. Decision's going to be made. So let's say I make a five with the ball that we thought might be out of bounds, and I make a seven with the other ball. If they determine my ball was, in fact, out of bounds, seven is my score for the hole. If they determine it was in bounds, then five is my score for the hole. Then you get into the situation, well, what if I make a six with both balls? Well, now, in my mind, in your mind, it doesn't matter. I make a six. But it still matters. But it still matters. You've got to report to the committee that you played another ball and you made a six with both balls um, just in case neither ball was played in accordance with the rules. So, But what happens if we didn't play both balls in accordance with the rules? What happens then? You'd have to come up with a scenario, but the, the most logical conclusion is that you're going to end up being disqualified. If neither ball was played from a position that didn't give you, you know, a, an advantage. Um, so if, 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 if a rule can't be applied to either one of the situations, then, you know, the player is going to be disqualified. But also if he fails to report that he played another ball, even though he may have had the same score with each ball, 
he's going to be disqualified for failing to report. So that's one of those things, first tee, junior golf tournaments, amateur golf tournaments, it's going to be on the notice to competitors. And you're, you're always going to take a second to explain how that works. Right. Um, because we, as an official, you never want to see a player get disqualified. It's also good nowadays, and I know this probably wasn't the case way back in the day when you didn't have cell phones, but now right. you put the rules officials on the notice to competitors, and you also put their cell phone numbers so that if there is a question about the rules of right. golf, you got the golf shop number on there, and you've got the rules officials' numbers, and you can call them. Correct. Exactly. And and that's done it. At, I mean, I did it at the club level. Um, I don't know if they do it at the state amateur level. I'm sure they probably do to some extent because, you know, using a cell phone is not a, an abnormal device if you're calling for a ruling. So you're fine to use it. Yeah, I think, you know, another ball or a second ball, as we used to call it, is, is, is something that you know, it will be there for a long time and it needs to be there for a long time just to protect the player. Roger, thanks for the uh, email and the question. If you've got a question about the rules of golf, send us an email from the shortgrass at gmail.com. That will do it for this edition of From the Short Grass. Congratulations, Scotty Scheffler, for winning the Arnold Palmer Invitational presented by MasterCard over the weekend at Arnold Palmer's Bay Hill Club and Lodge. What a great place for a golf course. Coming up on our next edition, we will recap the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass. Real quick, I'll leave you with this golf quote from Tiger Woods. No matter how good you get, you can always get better, and that's the exciting part. Remember to always repair your ball marks on the green and a couple of more, and I hope to see you from the short grass. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.